0: Welcome to Why Is This Good, a podcast by the Naples Writers Workshop. I'm Christine, and I'm here with James and John. How's it going, guys? Pretty good. Hey, great. So this week is a story that John has picked for us. John, why don't you tell us what you picked?
1: I picked uh, Mark Twain's The Celebrated Jumping Frog of Calaveras County.
0: All right. Why don't you read (laughs) a section for us about this frog?
1: There was a feller here once by the name of Jim Smiley in the winter of 49- or maybe it was a spring of 50, I don't recollect exactly somehow, but what makes me think it was one or the other is because I remember the big flume wasn't finished when he first came to the camp. But anyway, he was the curiousest man about always betting on anything that turned up you ever see, if he could get anybody to bet on the other side, and if he couldn't, he'd change sides. Any way that suited the other man would suit him. Anyway, just so he's got a bet, he was satisfied. But still, he was lucky. Uncommon lucky. He most always come out winner. He was always ready and laying for a chance. There couldn't be no solitary thing mentioned, but that feller would offered to bet on it, and take any side you please, as I was just telling you. If there was a horse race, you'd find him flush, or you'd find him busted at the end of it. If there was a dog fight, he'd bet on it. If there was a cat fight, he'd bet on it. If there was a chicken fight, he'd bet on it. Why, if there was two birds sitting on a fence, he would bet you which one would fly first. Or if there was a camp meeting, he would be there regular, to bet on Parson Walker, which he judged to be the best exhorter about here, or so he was too, and a good man man. If he even seen a straddlebug start to go anywhere, he would bet you how long it would take him to get wherever he was going to. And if you took him up, he would follow that straddlebug to Mexico, but what he would find out where he was bound for and how long he was on the road. Lots of the boys here has seen that smiley and can tell you about him. Why it never made no difference to him, he would bet on anything the dangdest feller parson walker's wife laid very sick once for a good while and it seemed as if they weren't going to save her but one morning he come in and smiley asked how she was and he said she was considerable better thank the lord for his infinite mercy and coming on so smart that with the blessing of providence she'd get well yet and smiley before he thought says well i'll risk two and a half that she don't anyway
0: yeah. <laughs> So why did you pick this one John I'm kind of
1: hanging on to this one thinking about suggesting it as a story for a while and for whatever reason I was like, eh, I'll do this now
0: <laughs> mainly
1: I was worried that I wouldn't have anything to say about it
0: <laughs> yeah
1: I wasn't sure I was like thinking about it and I was like oh, I'll suggest that one but I have no idea what I'm what I would say or what my takeaway would be so
0: well but otherwise why did you pick it I guess I mean like you like Mark Twain or you, you figured we should talk about him or are you like frogs? what is it <laughs> Well yeah I love frog
1: stories. Uh, as anybody this podcast must know now i um obviously i wanted to do something with twain and this is one of his most famous i think it was the one that kind of got him started and one of his most widely read other than his novels but it's also you know it does really interesting things so i thought it'd be fun to talk about in that respect too
0: right well like hearing you read it and kind of stumbling is how I felt reading it in my head <laughs>
1: now I have to edit in that I was stumbling
0: <laughs> yeah you do you have to tell everyone because I don't think I mean this is an older story and we don't talk this way anymore and I really struggled just like sentence to sentence a lot of times in ways that kind of took me out of it I don't know how you guys felt about like the experience I, I, I felt like I had to do a lot of work to even do like a first pass on this
1: reading that section out loud versus reading it in my head out I- out loud, I noticed way more of the dialect than I, than I did when I was reading it silently in my head. Right. Like I didn't notice tons of those things. I was like, oh, I'll pick this paragraph because there's not a lot of dialect in it. And then I start reading. And I was like, oh, man, it's everywhere.
0: Yeah, it's pervasive. I mean, there's no way around it given when it was written. But I had I had trouble uh, kind of like getting into this. And I think it's because this story does something that I've criticized folks in our workshop for doing occasionally, which is like a story within a story. Oh, Yes, I always just think, well, first of all, I hate when someone is like, let me tell you a story about it, blah, 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 blah. Here's a colon, a literal colon, and then the actual story will follow. And like, to its credit, this comes back into scene where this guy is talking to the person that he's tracked down at the bar, right? But a lot of times those stories that I find myself criticizing, they don't kind of come back around. And there's not an obvious reason that the story was kind of told that way. But here, especially, I felt like I was just kind of like, like reading through this kind of like throat clearing and I get that like overall by the end it kind of lends to the the notion that this is like a tall tale right so you gotta like find the guy in the bar that's gonna tell you about it it's like a video game and there's a character with a fucking treasure chest and you gotta say the password and then maybe he'll tell you but then like even by the time he's telling you I was just I was struggling man and then, and then it kind of like comes back around and <laughs> I don't know I don't know I, I felt like this is like a story that like maybe people would have read back then and thought ha yeah, that's right. But will they read it again and again and again and again? Or are we calling it a classic now? You know what I mean?
1: Yeah.
2: I completely agree. I mean, that's what, I mean, that's the first thing that I thought of too. I was like, oh, if this was a workshop, those first two paragraphs would be under a serious discussion.
0: Yes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I mean, even the first three paragraphs, really, before the story. I think actually,
0: the first three, for sure. Especially just given how short it is, because it, it really does seem like if you told it a different way, you could introduce how it is the narrator had to find Simon Wheeler in the first place. But you could do it by first captivating us about Jim Smiley himself, who I would argue is the main. Character, right? I mean, he's the guy we care about. He's the guy we're being kind of like teased about at the beginning, like, oh, this Jim Smiley guy. And then I finally found someone to tell me about him, and this is a story about him.
1: Yeah, you know, it was Leonidas Smiley that he's trying to find out about, right? And uh this guy tells him the story about Jim smiling. He's like, uh, at the end,
2: unrelated. that's not the
1: guy I was asking about. I'm out of here. Right. So I agree with you guys that those first three paragraphs feel like, yeah, I, if someone brought this story to me in the workshop, I'd be like, get rid of those paragraphs. Why do you? Why do you need? Them? What does it accomplish by doing that by having that frame around it right. which since you know it's twain since this is famous since it's in a million anthologies i have to ask myself what does it accomplish and i'm not sure i really don't know
0: i usually find myself like um when i have seen stories like this and and people find that they're like they cannot get around this construction right they they want to introduce the story they don't just want to tell the story they want to tell you the circumstance in which they first heard it or came across it usually like there is is something that those like first few paragraphs lend to the overall like context but i don't think they're ever best told as this kind of rambling introduction because i don't care about this introduction until i've heard the story itself and i think like when especially nowadays like you only have so much time to captivate a reader i don't think the way to captivate a reader is to tell them how you're about to tell them the story
2: yeah you mentioned date like this is 1867 and just because of coronavirus is spending a list time alone, and I've deleted Instagram and stuff, I've been like, oh, this is what it's like to be bored. (laughs) And I was like, maybe long introductions were kind of like, well, we got to pass the time somehow. So you're like much more. I was just thinking about that, like in 1867, because they all did these introductions back then.
0: Yeah, I like that's why I, I don't know. I'm not like as well read as anyone else that I've met in our fiction group, really. But like some of these classics, man, I get that they're classics, and I get that this is like where everything started. But I don't think that you need to have read them to know how to do things well in by today's standards. Like they might have laid a foundation, but I don't think anyone should be copying Mark Twain now.
1: You know the the epics, Homer. The beginning of them is always, "Oh, Muses, speak through me. Let me tell this story." It's basically a this is a rewrite of that homer is basically saying so i went to the muses to 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 find out about achilles and this is the story they told me and then he launches into it it's it's kind of like you said it's kind of like carrying forward that tradition of all right we're all here to hear a story let's get settled in let's take our time setting the scene let's find out where the story came from and all that kind of stuff behind it yeah it lends an ethos to it i think if you think in his aristotelian terms it's like you can almost think of this as being true he's trying to set this up as, no, this is a story somebody actually told me. And you can judge him, but don't judge me for reporting
0: it. Right. You know what's
2: interesting, which you just made me think of, is he's criticizing this guy for being very boring and going on and on. And he does the same thing in the first three paragraphs. But also I thought of, you know, like in olden times people would, after dinner, like they would stand around and they would like tell each other's stories. just like this character is telling a story. This is super voicey. Like in contrast to the Jurassic Park, which you talked about in the last podcast. I feel like that chapter you could take and like extract bullet points from and then kind of get them to a different writer and come up with sort of the same thing. Like, you wouldn't have Michael Crichton's, like, facility with the right scientific word, you know? But you kind of get the same thing. Like, this, though, it's all about the voice. And I feel like being formed is a big deal. Like This, this could be so much better if it was, like, a, a one act, you know?
1: Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. Like, the voice is not something that you can remove from the story and have the same story, which is why I would have rather just not read it at all. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, if I can't just have the story about the frog, you know? Right. Also, like I had to read, this is one of those ones where I was like, oh gosh, I'm not smart enough to say anything about it. So I had to Google the analysis. Okay, oh, Yeah. And basically <laughs> it confirmed my suspicion, which is that like, there's not much to this other than the fact that it's like a tall tale, right? It's almost like a uh, Paul Bunyan or something. And it was definitely supposed to be funny and entertaining. I don't know. It just seems simple that way. It seemed like really straightforward and kind of almost like a long extended dad joke like here's a guy that bets on everything and he gets ass handed to him with this frog and it's also i mean like at its core not something that would actually happen you couldn't actually like open a frog's mouth and like fill it up with these little pellets and expect it to sit there <laughs> so stories like like that was a tall tale for me i was like how did he wrangle this frog in the first place i don't know like everything about it seemed like so incredulous one thing i was wondering because
1: i originally assigned this to in a class and we read some other stuff around it and something else I think it's something else Mark Twain wrote about this story he wrote about hearing it I think this was also fanciful he was like kind of playing with people by saying this but he said that he had heard the story originally from an ancient Greek and Leonidas is obviously the name of the leader of the Spartans during the uh, the Persian invasion you know the, the 300 Spartans that stood against the Persians and so it's a Greek name it kind of suggestive of that it made me think in this reading Andrew Jackson is Is the name of the dog Which was obviously a president And who was the other one Daniel Webster Was the name of the frog Was it the frog That was named Daniel Webster And that's a senator yeah. From New England somewhere. And I was wondering if there was some sort of social commentary that I was missing because I don't know those characters well enough. Andrew Jackson was, he's the guy who jumped off his carriage and beat the uh, this uh, would-be assassin with his cane. Was it an assassin? Somebody came out, took a shot at him. That's what it was. And he chased him off with his cane. So I can see the dog being like an Andrew Jackson kind of personality, but I don't really know enough about Webster. I really don't know enough about Jackson to make those connections. But, but I don't know. It was a thought I had that maybe this is because it's it's 150 years ago it's just going over my head
0: yeah i think there's always going to be this like kind of cultural context that like maybe historians can like read and and assume that they've gotten the full scope of but i mean think about like the story that we read for this podcast about the woman that like had sex with the republican right before trump was elected and like really regretted it that is like something that like a historian can explain to you right but like it has a different kind of tone for anyone that like went through trump's election and feels a certain way about it.
1: Yeah. That, Gender studies was the name of that yeah, story. Okay, and,
0: like you can appreciate it, but you might not be able to like feel it the same way.
1: Yes. Yeah. Like what do I know about Andrew Jackson? A couple of things I read in a history book a long time ago, but these people who are in the 1860s who had just, who like knew Andrew Jackson as more of a recent figure.
2: Mm-hmm. To your point, I, I was like, okay, so this is a super old story. It's more of like a vocalization. However, if my theory about like the elements of a story, of print, I should be able to find all those elements in here yes and they are here but the difference is he takes so long to just actually start the story which you you just said was it's a little tall tale like brer rabbit and he kind of tells like three or four stories beforehand like i'm super interested in this bullpup intro because i have a thing about lists like writers love to make lists they're like oh let me describe this thing and let me have a long list or oh let me tell you about this story but it is it's a subset of these other three things and there's a list this is like a list that like got totally out of control (laughs) that's right and the dog like should have been just one item on the list and in fact, he mentions dog fighting up there. You know, if there was a cat fight, if there was a dog fight, he'd bet on it. And then he's got this whole, like, tragic mini-story about the dog. Like, the other dog's feet have been sawed off by a circular saw? That's dark.
1: You wonder if that was an accident or if it was on purpose, the way it was framed.
2: Exactly. And I have to say, some of the descriptions are pretty great. So it's like, okay, maybe we don't like the story, maybe, but like, what's valuable in it? And some of these, like the way the dog's underdressed began to stick out like the focus hole from a steamboat and his teeth would uncover and shine savage like furnaces. So I'm like, okay, this is some literary stuff that would be totally, you know, getting the check mark today. But at the end of
1: the day, yeah, I was wondering about that spelling of foe castle is the way it's spelled on the page, but the word it's usually spelled "forecastle" F O R E C A S T L E, but pronounced Foxle. But th- he writes in the dialect so much that I wonder why it isn't shortened, you know, right. If it was still pronounced foe castle back then, or if he just, I don't know. I thought about that word for far too long.
2: <laughs> well, that's a good point. I did hear that Mark Twain, his ear was like incredible for the different dialects here and there and like he was like super spot on apparently like he's like super good at picking up dialects and that's part of why he's so famous
0: i mean that makes sense i think
1: that is that is the case whenever twain is spoken about it's always in terms of dialect and how masterful he was at presenting dialect. Twain had a crazy life. I wish I could use this podcast to go into it, but his he, money-making schemes that led him to where he was were crazy. He was on his way to 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 sell cocaine in New England.
2: Uh-huh. No way. Oh my
1: gosh. And he was on a riverboat, and the riverboat captain said, Yeah, it's the highest paying job in the country. You just have to spend two years learning the entire river, co- like both coasts of the river. So he spent the next two years l- memorizing the entire Mississippi River, north to south, both shorelines, so that he could drive it in the dark. Took the test, passed it. Civil War broke out. Mississippi was shut down. Wow. So then. He went to San Francisco and uh, then he worked at a newspaper there. But it's just like this series of like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be riverboat captain and then it's just shut down. um, Anyway, it's such a crazy...
2: That's going to be like studying our entire lives to write the masterful novel in 20 years but by then coronavirus has killed everyone over the age of 30 and no one under the age of reads books anymore so
0: no oh, no oh great let will see book now <laughs> uh,
1: one thing I, I wanted to mention about this is i you know this is one of those things that happens in a lot of uh stories where voice is really important is the distinction between telling and showing um which we talk about sometimes on the podcast really gets blurred right and that paragraph i read the character simon wheeler is telling us about jim smiley he's telling us he's just reciting facts about him um if there was a horse race you'd find him flush or you'd find him busted at the end of it you know there's no he's not describing scenes in that and then he does drip into scenes here and there and then obviously when he's telling a story about the dog and then he's telling the story about the frog it's all shown scene specific but a lot of the setup is the telling and. um, obviously no one's gonna say oh mark twain you did it wrong you should have shown us all those details because he's doing something different with the voice but i don't know it makes me think about the tell and the show kind of distinction a lot and the, the thing that i thought about for this one was that when you when you're telling us something i think you can get away with it more when you use those specific details vivid details in the telling really help sell the telling rather than requiring us to show something like betting on a dog fight cat fight chicken fight the just the, like you said before the listing kind of helps us uh visual or not visualize but kind of uh have like a, a cloud around the central idea that's being explained and each of those little details helps sell that thing that's being told to us anyway that was a a little thing I thought I could take out of this, I thought I'd mention.
0: Well, I think um it'd be interesting to read like a version of this that was kind of told without this construction of let me tell you a story and then here's the real story. Like if this was like told and scene, maybe from the perspective of Smiley, who doesn't think he's gonna get like duped by this guy, you know, and then does. Like it might be different because you might be able to like introduce, I don't know, like a sympathetic character and then like some actual stakes. But there's something about the construction itself of like hearing a story that like eliminates all stakes for me you know you're just kind of reading it and you're like all right so this didn't happen to you you know or it's almost like when my dad calls me up and he's like let me tell you this story about my friend and it's so much less interesting than like let me tell you what happened to me today
1: yeah so
2: true i mean in in a way i'm thinking about like what is the actual story the story is not about a frog or a dog or anything story is one of my friends told me to go ask for some information from this guy, and it turned out the guy was super boring, and I could hardly stand to it. And I left.
0: <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> That's what I mean. I feel like Mark Twain was like one of these guys that, like, maybe for whatever reason he was elevated, but by the time he was, like, he was writing stuff that, like, uh, I don't know, this just seems like a fun, weird story where people read it wherever it was published. I don't know, where did they publish stuff? Like in the paper back then? And they said, hey, did you read Mark Twain's story about the frog? I don't know. Like, it's, <laughs> it seems like it was like a, a fun, face value story that you read and you were entertained in the moment. And to James's point, like, you know, certain other generations you gotta really, like, captivate them. It can't be, like, entertaining for a little while when you're competing with all these other things that are entertaining for a little while. But maybe they sat down and they read it and it was memorable for some reason. I don't know though. Was it memorable? Was it? I think it's a comedy,
2: right? Would you guys describe it as a comedy? Yeah. Yes. So, like, maybe the sense of humor. And by the way, I'm standing humbly before the story because there's all kinds of stuff that i can't do but um i felt the same for it in parts you did too but yeah it seems like it's just like a comedy like the intent is not to make a sad except make a dog but really just to make us chuckle and the voice is part of that and these the characters are part of that
1: right the ending is interesting right because he goes on with the story then he gets called away uh wheeler gets called away and the narrator's like oh man I don't have to sit here and listen to this anymore I'm gonna sneak out but then Wheeler catches him at the door he says at the door I met sociable Wheeler returning and he buttonholed me and re- uh, recommenced well this year Smiley had a yaller one eyed cow and didn't have no tail only just a short stump like a banana and oh hang Smiley and his afflicted cow I muttered good naturedly and bidding the old gentleman good day I departed uh-huh. oh, that last line hang Smiley and his afflicted cow he muttered Good naturedly. That's like, like a comic way of, of phrasing that, of putting that is, you know, you say something that's not good natured and then. <laughs> bidding the old gentleman good day you flee I don't know I, I really kind of I'm taken it back by the ending I guess but it is funny too at the same time
0: yeah the ending is like one of those bait and switch it's kind of like why well, you know I, I lured you in with this premise of hearing about a guy that got screwed after he bets on everything but then by the end it's like here's the narrator like coming back into scene and it's kind of like I don't know it almost like negates everything you just read it's like yeah that was the story but like here's the real story ha ha God, Mark Twain, you suck.
1: (laughs) I found the the telling Relatively gripping Like I don't know I I was into the story Despite when he says uh, He calls it He reeled off The monotonous narrative Which follows Maybe it's because of He describes All through the Interminable narrative There ran a vein Of impressive Earnestness and sincerity Right Because the character He describes as He regarded it As a really important matter And admired its two heroes As men of transcendent Genius and finesse He's kind of in that Third paragraph Setting up He's like watch what I'm about to do right? I'm going to show you a story which accomplishes all these things. And then he does that. He accomplishes a monotonous narrative with an impressive earnestness and sincerity that admires its two heroes. It's essentially to set yourself like a task in the middle of a story and then to accomplish it.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's one thing I will say is like when you do hear a story and it is like kind of a setup this way, like in a short story or a longer work where someone is kind of like pontificating for a while or like, you know, sit back and listen to this tale. Like The one thing that does make it interesting is kind of what you hinted at, which is like this kind of strong, confident narrator, right? He's like, let me tell you this winding tale, but I'm charismatic enough that you'll kind of sit back and listen and maybe get swept away for a second.
1: Yeah.
2: And it is interesting that the outside narrator is like, okay, go. And he doesn't interrupt him. And then you can kind of fall into that dream finally. Yeah. In our novels, I'm sure that at some point you're going to have to have a character telling another story. A character's pretty common thing. So I'm always like, oh, how do you make that work? Do you like have one of the character interrupting the story all the time to keep it alive in the scene, or not?
0: I guess it
1: depends. Oh yeah, whether the scene matters right. as much as the story being told. Right. That's an interesting problem.
0: I'd argue it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, it would depend it depends on what you're doing in this. Yeah, book.
0: exactly. It's always kinda like if you're if you're having to ask yourself that question, it's like, Well, why are we hearing the story or why are we in a scene then?
1: Like if someone came home and was telling like a father came home and told a story to his kids about why the dog just died, they would be interrupting it probably a lot and like that present time dynamic is just as important as the story he's trying to tell in that moment. Right. Probably. I'm inventing a story now I'm going to try to write.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> well, I think, have you guys read Berkman, The Bell Falls, by
0: Hemingway?
2: Uh, a long time ago.
1: I did read that, yeah.
2: There's one story that the woman tells Robert Jordan, the main character, and it goes on forever. But it's super good. It's like a Hemingway, long Hemingway short story within
0: the story. I think the longer the work, the more I would be happy to fall into it. And then with something like this, I'm just like, why the buildup? Okay, so let's pretend we had to have a takeaway from Mark Twain's frog story. (laughs) What would we pretend we had learned and intended to copy? John you're first Here's your story
1: Yeah One of the things that I I would probably take away Is voice and the ability Of voice to really drive A narrative But we talked about that In a previous episode The Grace Paley episode Yes Goodbye and good luck we keep mentioning That episode over and over again It seems to really stick with us So the the thing that I wrote down Is kind of I don't know It's kind of obvious But it's also important It's just how We're always told Show don't tell And on this podcast We've discussed stories Where telling has been More important than showing in certain respects so my takeaway is that when you do have to tell that details really help sell it and make make the telling more interesting than it would be if you were maybe even disguise the telling a little bit because you're you're halfway showing by using those details and you might not get that feedback of oh you should show instead of tell so that was my takeaway it's just details while you're telling kind of help sell it
0: yeah that makes sense Um, what about you James I guess mine
2: would be to kind of check myself when I come to a story like this because like you, John, I, I think I've read this Celebrated Jumping Frog in classes before and seen in anthologies. So like I automatically bring this, I bring two things to a story like this. One is like, oh, it must be good because it's canonized. And then just like you, I also am like, oh, it's going to be boring because it's from 1867. But both of those things were born with me. And I think that my takeaway is, well, this story is both worse than and better than I thought it was going to be in light of those two preconceptions. I think... At the end of the day, I do think it's just a comedy. I think the intro reminds me of the dangers of intros and multiple intros. But on the other hand, if I get past that, and like rereading reading a second time, I'm enjoying it more and more because I'm kind of learning how to read it. And I'm admiring the deftness with which you can paint a character. Just the little things that the characters say are really, I mean, like, you know, they hit that top-level with the way that the characters talk. Like the one guy's like, it might be a parrot or it might be a canary, maybe, but it ain't. It's only just a frog. Yeah. That's alive, you know? Um and then the other fella looks at it careful, turns it this way and that and says, ooh, so it is? Well, what's it good for? Like those things are just alive on the page, you know? Um and that feels totally modern to me. I'm like, if it's good enough modern you know but then also there were those intros and the ending is kind of like okay so i guess that's my my takeaway
1: i like that and because one thing i have trouble with sometimes is i forget that these are supposed to be fun to read you know right like you're supposed to read these things and just enjoy it and this is eminently enjoyable it doesn't have to adhere to these uh sometimes tedious expectations we have for what stories need to be it's just fun right just enjoy
0: (laughs) that was basically my takeaway is that um even though i didn't personally enjoy reading this one I can imagine like a modern day version of like a face value sort of comedy or um, I don't know, there, there's a, there's still like an aspect to this that's almost like a fable. It feels like a lesson, right? Like you're supposed to have a feeling like, well, that's why you don't blah, blah, blah with a story like this. And usually those are usually pretty interesting. Like they're straightforward stories and they're funny and easy to read. So with this one, I don't know, I guess I'm kind of brought back to the, the idea that a story can be very simple it doesn't have to have this like overarching thing that necessarily sticks with you but it can be enjoyable to read in the moment and that can be enough so yeah yeah so there you go mark twain hope you're rolling in your grave (laughs) well i I enjoyed it (laughs) all right thanks guys